For RCR TV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, Wi-Fi, small cell, and much, much more. Comscope. Thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings. Now, the show tagline specifically calls out DAS, small cell, and Wi-Fi, but we like to talk about all aspects of wireless infrastructure, including the physical side of what will ultimately be 5G mobile networks. Matter of fact, last week we looked at a Ericsson demo of a 5G testbed and talked with their head of 5G strategy about what's next as that standard is developed. And this week, before I introduce our guest, I'd like to frame the discussion a little bit by throwing it way back to HetNet Happenings Episode 1. In that episode, we were joined by Jeff Andrews, who's a leading 5G researcher and part of the University of Texas at Austin's Wireless Networking and Communications Group. Jeff and I discussed how network densification is likely to be a key component of an ultimate 5G standard. Let's take a look at that clip. I mean, densification in principle can work with any technology. I mean, and it's really what's been carrying the freight for us for the last 20 years in terms of capacity. When you look at the numbers, almost all the capacity gain comes from just essentially having more base stations. And by mm-hmm. having more base stations, you can reuse the spectrum. Now, instead of 100 people sharing that base station, you have 10 or 5. Mm-hmm. And so just the, the bandwidth goes much further. Right. And so this is kind of a brute force approach. But on the other hand, it requires lots of uh, innovation as well, both on the device side, making it smaller, lower power, cheaper, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the network coordination. These ha- You can't just shrink down a, a base station. You know These require lots of maintenance mm-hmm. and tuning. And so these need to be much more self-deployable, be able to sense their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where LTE has been very helpful, is LTE is much more conducive to small stuff technology because of the multiple access approach. Um, so uh, there's a lot of ingredients to making densification work. It's mm-hmm. not like you just throw tons of infrastructure out there and it, and it, and it just works. But, um, you know, be, but fiber networks, meanwhile, have been get, being built out more and more. Google Fiber being one, an obvious visible example, but just in general, there's been lots of fiber build-outs, higher capacity backhaul. These are also necessary ingredients for mm-hmm. densification. So this is uh, a very key part um, of, of the, the 5G story. So now that we're all thinking about how network densification fits into mobile, I'd like to introduce our guest. It's the CEO and president of the PCIA, that's the Wireless Infrastructure Association, Jonathan Adelstein. Jonathan's also a former FCC commissioner, so he just has a wealth of industry knowledge. Our CEO and editorial director here at RCR, Jeff Mucci, had the opportunity to talk with Jonathan about network densification, along with some of the attendant challenges in deploying more infrastructure in increasingly crowded metropolitan network situations. And uh, these guys talk a lot about some of the ROI and business case side of it, as well as something that Jeff Andrews mentioned in that last clip, which is how to deal with a lack of availability of fiber tie-ins. So this is a, a great clip with Jonathan Adelstein. Let's take a look. So let's uh, let's dive right in with your perspective on what are some of the major uh, infrastructure challenges associated with metro network densification. Well, some of the challenges we're seeing, of course, are are making sure that the business model works. What 
expectations are from carriers in terms of the price they're going to pay versus the actual costs on the ground, I don't think have quite uh, met up yet. Now, a lot of challenges in terms of getting access to rights of way. Uh, we've eliminated some of those challenges through PCIA. For example, on, on uh, utility poles, mm -hmm. getting them exempted from uh, National Environmental Protection Act, Environmental Review, and Historical Protection Review, we've largely gotten them exempted. But other sites are not exempted from federal review, so they can be treated as if they're a macro site, even though it's a, it's a micro site. There are issues with, uh, with getting power and backhaul and the, and the costs associated with them to these facilities, be it fiber or otherwise. Uh, those can be uh, costly. And, and so the real question is, if you're getting, for example, one-tenth of the throughput in a small cell, are you getting it for um, one-tenth of the cost? And I think the answer right now is certainly not. Now, I think folks are anticipating paying more because these are sort of a, a almost, you could say, urgent uh, needs that they're trying to fill in, in terms of capacity uh, in, in dense urban where, where they meet some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. I don't think you know, landlords are prepared at this point to, to uh, allow these things to be placed for the kind of uh, rent that the carriers are hoping for. So, of course, people turn to poles. Sometimes there needs to be additional poles built if the network is inadequate, if there's a hole somewhere, and those are hard as heck to get to get built in, in dense urban. So, you know, SIDAC is still a big challenge. Uh, the, the, the business model is still a big challenge. Uh, the equipment, there's not a neutral host uh, antenna system for small cell that's very proprietary uh, to each individual carrier. And mm -hmm. I think if we could get a, a neutral host type of technology and, and business model, that would be helpful. And we have it to some extent with dark fiber, which operates almost like a, a neutral host to the antenna. And multiple antennas can be attached at the end of that. And uh, I think our businesses are increasingly moving into that uh, in order to, to capitalize on the neutral host model that's been so successful in, in the macro sites. Well, let's, you mentioned a couple of great things. One, pricing, and number two, uh, backhaul. So let's talk about backhaul for a minute. When fiber simply is not available, what's the next best option? Obviously, the, you know, number one is microwave uh, backhaul is what a lot of folks are using. We're hoping that uh, increasingly we can use the 3.5 uh, spectrum that the FCC has set aside for this purpose, and we work hard to make sure that's configured in a way that our, our members can use. There's some uh, auction coming up. Unfortunately, we talked about a three-year uh, license period uh, with the possibility of renewal, but three years is awful short to be making big investments in this. Yeah. So, so still it's some great um, spectrum that can be used for this. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, wireless backhaul is the alternative when you can't get fiber. Fiber is always preferable, but not always possible. And of course, uh, costs are an issue there as well. And then on the business model, it seems like there's a couple levers that can be pulled. Number one, you know, what are you going to pay for a, a pull mount? Uh, number two, the equipment, um, and the equipment is somewhat tied to the technologies that use. So let's talk about the the, uh, the the rate people may have to pay at a municipality level or utility level for pole top attachment. Uh, what's what do you see as a trend there, and what's PCI doing maybe to help the industry uh, and help the municipalities understand that uh, uh, carriers simply can't pay uh, the same from a, a micro site or, or a small cell that they could for a macro cell. Well, Jeff, you know, we've worked hard to make sure that the rates for pole attachments are, are ones that can make the business model work. And the FCC set very good rates. I think right now, cable's paying less than telecommunications. We need to harmonize those rates to make sure everybody's paying the lowest possible rates. Mm -hmm. Some states aren't following the FCC guidelines, and we've worked with a number of states, um, notably recently Ohio, 
to try to get them into the um, FCC framework for rates, which are, are generally lower than states that set their own. And really making the case to states that the, the, the lower the rates, the better it is for overall economic development. These deployments aren't about getting revenue just at the point of deployment and the pole attachment. They're about enabling jobs and economic growth throughout every sector of the economy these yeah. communities. And the smart ones are getting that. The smart states are doing that. The FCC certainly recognizes that. And so we're working with them to get uh, rates down across the board. Of course, some localities aren't even following the guidelines that they're required to follow. And we're, we're working with them. You know, litigation is the last resort. We prefer education if we can to work with them to make sure they're aware of what their obligations are under federal uh, law and regulations. Do you see the pole attachment agreements, and maybe that's not even the right word, but the, the, the street furniture agreements that, that are needed for municipality deployments, are those agreements falling under traditional CLEC agreements that do have pole attachment provisions built in, or do you see a new type of agreement uh, being developed for municipalities? Well, you know, traditional CLEC is, 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 is working uh, very well. I mean, the, the rights that CLECs have, of course, they're not always being followed, even though, even though they have them. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so there's still a lot of work to be done on pole attachments. It's very encouraging as I was testifying in front of Congress earlier this week, and there was enormous interest on a bipartisan basis about pole attachments in the House Commerce Committee that has jurisdiction over the FCC and over the communications landscape. They're asking me, how can we improve the uh, pole attachment environment to expedite deployment of broadband? Uh, so we are seeing support from federal lawmakers. We're seeing support from the Federal Communications Commission. We're seeing support from the administration in trying to eliminate barriers. We're also getting support from a number of states, but there is resistance. There's, people are seeing this as a, a revenue center, you know, and, which is typical. You know, localities are strapped and they're mm -hmm. looking they can, and utilities are looking for uh, opportunities as well. But I think that policymakers on at least a federal level recognize that there's a lot more at stake here than just the short-term uh, revenue that people might get from trying to maximize the, the price that's getting paid for attachments to polls. They're looking at this as a way of improving the overall economy in a community uh, and looking at this as a way of getting broadband deployed nationwide quickly and expeditiously. And these polls are going to be an, an essential element of that. Well, it's interesting, Jonathan. You know, I spent most of my career in the competitive phone business, uh, both on the CLEC side and on the wireless side. And it seems to me we're taking archaic, um, for example, Telecom Act of 96, which a lot of the CLECs opted into at the state level uh, and the state uh, 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 agreements. Uh, and then you've got these cable franchises that have been around for decades, uh, which, which brings me back to the question, do you see a new type of municipality agreement uh, being put in place at the state or federal level that will really provide the um, and enable and facilitate the investment in wireless infrastructure so that we can see the full benefit of uh, mobile broadband. Well, I'd love to see a, a new model. You know, cable has a real advantage that they can put their, their Wi-Fi notes, for example, on the strand without even having to go through these attachments at all. Uh, so they've got a jump start. I mean, cable is well positioned on on the wireline side with the ability to go quickly to DOCSIS 3.0. Mm -hmm. They advantages on the Wi-Fi deployment side. I think we need to make sure that at least when it comes to regulatory advantages that everybody has uh, similar opportunities here and that uh, telecommunications companies aren't paying more for pole attachments, that they get rights to, uh, to deploy quickly. Uh, so we need to find a way to do that and we need a way to do the make ready work also on these poles. I mean, there's 
a lot of work that needs to be done to prepare them for the wireless deployments that are to come. Uh, these poles are ideally situated throughout the country to quickly deploy uh, these networks. Uh, I think they, they can be done more quickly, more efficiently, more comprehensively than almost any place else in terms of, of, of street furniture. And so it's, it's time to, to clear all the regulatory hurdles, and this is a, a big priority for us at PCI and for our members. Mm -hmm. And earlier you mentioned technology. The technology was proprietary per vendor. It wasn't quite where we needed to be. Uh, do you see any major changes over the next 12 months in terms of the technology changing so that uh, carriers can and, and the infrastructure folks can uh, scale small cell deployments? Well, we keep hearing around the corner that there will be neutral host uh, antenna solutions available. Uh, I hope within the next year we'll be, we'll be seeing more opportunities for that. I feel like we're in the old uh, early days of towers where um, carriers sometimes see an advantage in having their own proprietary deployment and not necessarily wanting to share, but I think the economics of it are going to work just as they have in the tower business, which is that to offload the cost of um, CapEx to deploy these networks, this can make more and more sense to leverage the uh, availability of capital to um, the infrastructure industry that can work in partnership with carriers to get these networks deployed quickly. And uh, carriers welcome that. We heard yesterday at a Wells Fargo panel I was at from Verizon that they'll work with any partner uh, to get these things deployed quickly. If they need to do it themselves, they'll do it themselves. Uh, and that's the way I, I think it's, it's gonna go increasingly. I mean, more and more capital's being thrown into the wireless infrastructure industry, seeing the success that we've had. Well, let's put that to work to quickly help carriers get their networks built uh, in a, in a cost-efficient manner in a way that allows them to use their uh, capital budgets to deploy the the, the RAN and all the other work that they need to do to upgrade to 4G, 4G LTE and to prepare for, for 5G. Well, you mentioned at the onset of the discussion, it's, it's all about the business model. And uh, we've spoken about the technology, we've spoken about the cost of pole attachment agreements and make ready. Where do you see the revenue starting in, or when do you see the revenue starting to increase for the carriers? Uh, and, and where do you th see that revenue coming from? Well, we've seen some some good earnings reports uh, this quarter. I think we're starting to see some of the uh, some of the, some of this to bottom out, and and, and, and ARPU starting to, to stabilize, uh, you know, profits uh, and earnings starting to starting to stabilize a little bit. It's been it's been a rough uh, couple years, frankly, and uh, despite that, there's been enormous capex. I think that will continue, but you know, that, it's hard uh, for uh, carriers to sustain these levels of capex um, given the pressures on the bottom line. Uh, they're doing it because basically the competition has been on quality of the networks and there's a there's a, a good quality war going on in that sense, uh, whereas the price war is something that all might benefit consumers in the short run. In the long run, they might not get the networks they need if they're not willing basically to, to pay the price. Uh, you know, consumers are fortunate, they're getting more for less, but that can't go on indefinitely. These are extremely expensive capital deployments mm -hmm. that carriers are engaged in, and uh, and I'm I'm hopeful that uh, eventually the prices will stabilize and we'll be able to have an environment that we can we can meet the the, the needs. But we're not going to be able to do it without a huge amount of densification of the network. There simply isn't enough spectrum coming online, despite all of our efforts to try to get the regulators to find more. Uh, there's nothing in the pipeline after the incentive auction, and the incentive auction isn't even going to provide any new frequencies that are available to relieve traffic on existing frequencies until uh, after the five-year window that, you know, Cisco's saying we're going to get 700% increase in, in data. 
So the vast bulk of the new traffic is going to be carried through densified networks. And of course, through, uh, you know, carriers that have uh, spectrum available are going to deploy more and more of that until they get to the point of the spectrum exhaust. And that's why I think they're thinking ahead to, uh, to, to densification as, as a solution. Got it. Well, Jonathan, thanks again for your time today. And we look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles at the HetNet Expo in the fall. Well, thanks, Jeff. Looking forward to it. Looks like we're going to have a blockbuster show in L.A. Some really interesting points that Jeff and Jonathan covered there regarding network densification. And as I pointed out, this has a lot of implications for 5G, but this also has some immediate applications for 4G and even 3G networks as service providers look to add coverage and capacity through network densification. So I'd like to thank Jeff and Jonathan for conducting that interview for us here at HetNet Happenings, and I'd like to thank the folks at home for tuning in. I'd like to get in a few plugs here as we wrap up. Uh, to keep up with RCR Wireless News, I'd encourage you to visit us at rcrwireless.com. And for lots of other RCR TV productions, you can visit that website as well as our YouTube channel. And as our regular viewers are aware, we like to host uh, tech and telecom-related uh, networking and social events here at our studio in East Austin. We had one of those events last week with a great musical guest called Mo What Made Milwaukee Famous. So as we end the show, let's take a listen to a portion of their set, and thanks for tuning in. Well, I come into your town, and all it ever does is bring me down. Yeah. All we ever do is hang around. People looking for some common ground. She won. That's mine. And all you ever say. It's gonna come someday Well, I can't wait And all I ever do Is stick and cling to you And the only thing that gets me through Cheap HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at SeanKinneyRCR. To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.